Welcome to episode number 9 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. And we are, as usual, very keen on learning what you think about the show and our podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website, as usual. We appreciate all your feedback. And now, here are your hosts. My name is Paul Rotzke. I am a software developer with the heart of a tester. My name is Christian Haas. By day, I work on safety-critical software in Java and C++. And by night, I develop on open source in Go. My name is David Leitner and I'm a software engineer working on different projects using a bunch of different technologies. Dear listener, what changed to the last episode? Yes, we changed our intro and the reason for that is we have had a retrospective because we are agile, of course. <laughs> no, we just we wanted to, to reflect a little bit about the first uh, eight episodes that we already have and there was a retrospective with all of our hosts all four of us were there it was awesome and yeah a few things we want to change and we did already change already changed as you've heard so we changed the introduction we want to have a little bit more relation to what developer melange should be different from other podcasts so more relation to our local communities in Vienna or the Vienna region. Mm. So no fear to say our full name to get some idea what we are doing about this funny catchphrase that we've thought about each of us. And yeah, and the other thing is the most important thing, I guess, uh, we will now have a little change in the topics. We will have a single topic per episode, but we will release two episodes per month. Woo! Yeah. That's so massive. for us, almost nothing changes because <laughs> we will record two episodes and in a Christian does all the work, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're still going to have fun as we have now. And yes. Well, I think the most important point which came out from the retro was that we thought about why did we actually plan to do this? And the idea was always that we give something back to the community, right? Yeah. It was always the intention to really make a podcast for Viennese um, community supporters. And we also want to introduce um, this, this news from Vienna at the end of each episode yes. where we go into detail about meetups and stuff like this. And exactly. we also um, want to um, have guests from the local community in every episode. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we started today. Exactly. Not really, but we are welcoming our actually third guest from the Vienna local community and this time we are welcoming Gottfried Singh. Welcome Gottfried. So just to introduce a little bit, um, Gottfried Singh who has been working as an IT freelancer for about 20 years. 30 years ago he had his first contact with a computer, a C64, and stayed with the computer. Since then, he has always been involved with IT in a variety of ways. Initially, as software developer in Java and recently Kotlin, and the last years more and more in the role as requirements engineer or architect. 
What he loves about IT are the many technical possibilities and the contact with people. Technically, there is always something to learn and through the user, you always learn new from foreign domains. He mainly builds on distributed systems where he works as a business analyst, architect and partly as a developer. He likes to take care of the design of software. Hello, Gottfried. Hello, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's cool that you, you are here. Um, you have brought one very interesting topic. Yeah, uh, it's about security in software design. So basically to write secure software in an easy way, not actually as a, just putting a requirement for the developer, just putting it there and he has to do it, but actually to, to give him more or less, to teach him that it's a concern that he has, that he has to follow because security is not just the place to, to have a user story and then it's over. And it's getting more and more important because the introduction told you already that I have a long history of, of computer stuff. I started with the computers, the C64, with the PC, and all of them have, have been actually isolated. There was no connectivity. This was rather easy for a software developer. But then with the local networks and also with the internet networks, you, you getting in touch with the malicious users users that are not that well-intended, not the uh, internal employees that actually are very tolerant in all these errors and all using the, the application the correct way. And this is often leading to some security issues. It's getting better and better over the time now, but you still have to do a lot of things. And one typical approach is actually for security is to, to put up some firewalls, some application firewall, some, some routes between you're separating the networks, but this is just a, a security solution for the runtime. This is just something that you can put up. It's rather easy. And, but it's not tackling that the problem at the heart because it, then it's often forgot about to, to think about the software itself. So the, the core of the software itself should be designed in a secure way and not just that the architecture around the software hosting the software should be designed in a secure way doesn't make sense to, to have all these firewall rules set up and all these security guards put in place when the software is actually not doing what you want to do, the software to do. So you're talking about security by design, right? Is this the, exactly. The buzzword that's, around that's, it? It's not the password, actually. I mean, maybe for some, some of the guys it's a password yeah. because you can buy a lot of books with security by design and you can say, okay, now I'm, I'm safe because I have my huge checklist and... Uh, Chief Information Security Officer says so now the application is secure, but actually he, no one ever checked the, the, the application itself. Mm. And it should not only be done because putting up a firewall or whatever just in the, the, the application where it is hosted is just putting the burden on the de developer as well as the operations guy. And it should be actually taken care of way further before actually because I'm doing business analysis, requirements engineer, you should also, as a requirement engineer, should taking care about what, what is security, in the, what is the meaning of security in your specific application. What are the typical things that the people, the people are missing in this stage, in this early stage? Um, what, what's missing, actually, they try to make it simple by themselves because it has been told them for a long time, write the user story and and just put the word security in it and then it's done in one sprint and it's over and it's, you're secure, you're happy. 
And for the requirements engineers guys doing the other way, just writing a requirement one to three and say, okay, we need a secure application. But actually, this is a permanent ongoing task, and this is what's actually missed. And it's not part of the, because this is rather too easy just to, to say for the developer, make it secure. Yes, How does this work then? So, so what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the flow? Because what we actually most of the time do, we develop, I don't know, for three months, then we send the stuff to penetration testing, and then we get it back right. after one week, and then we see if it was secure or not, yeah. right? No. So you see. would bring them much earlier into the loop. Or much more often? No, it, it's not about penetration test because sending it to the penetration test and getting back yes or no, this is just okay. They haven't found anything. This yeah. doesn't mean that it's really secure, secure because also the penetration testers are sometimes doing some kind of just fuzzy testing or whatever, brute force yeah. attacks yeah. and whatever, but they don't know if the, if the data return is actually really meant to be there. I mean, like you have data that shouldn't be shown to some user. Penetration tester maybe knows, maybe doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So this is actually also a validation of the security principles because if you are leaking some data, you are actually violating the, the confidentially. Okay, so, so, so but what you then actually say is that it must be back in the team, right? It must everybody in the team must be aware of security. It's of not course. one person. It's not one role. It's the whole team who must send and, and, from and to about security. Team, team is also now including when they're talking about HR teams, you're talking also about the, the, the PO, the product owner should be aware of security and also the business analyst, all the stakeholders, all the users that they are going to involve. Mm -hmm. And you can make it rather easy if you, there's, if you try to actually asking the right question as a business analyst maybe. Mm -hmm. This is just to ask them is some combination of data really valid? If this is really okay, is this really meant to be that way? And this is often ignored because when you're doing domain modeling, all the examples that I see is you have this model and you, you have this primitive types in there. You have the string, you have this integer, you have this float, you have this boolean, whatever. And trying to represent actually some very important aspect of the domain. And they are just represented as simple primitive types. Like, for example, when you have an email address, the email address is usually a string in there. Mm -hmm. this, this domain and this entity, value object, whatever it is represented. And, but actually, email address has some specific format. It's not, it's not just a string. It's not just a, a sequence of characters. It's just a specific format. And everything else is, should be treated as not valid. I mean, this is there's this specific formatting with the add and the dot and whatever. I mean, there's some rec apps with 7,000 characters. Yeah, there, there, there's not one, there are thousands. <laughs> this is horrible. of them is working. And, but you're <laughs> never ever going to, to validate against these rec apps. You're just using a, a much simpler rec apps. Sometimes it's sufficient for you for the business case that you have an add and you have a dot and you have some characters and that's it. Maybe you're just blocking some domains as well. Then you can say, okay, this is a valid email address. But it's not a string, it's really a valid email address. And mm. actually making this explicit this knowledge and, and giving this information to the developer as well. But, but, sorry, that, but do you yeah. know that, do you think that business knows this usually? If I go to business and ask them, what is for you a valid address, email address, then we would say, it's an email address, right? Mm, that's, yeah, that's what yeah, they think about may, an email address. Maybe email address is Who makes easy? this decision finally? But when you have a shop, an online shop, you mm. can... Ask the guys, is it okay to have a, a quantity of 1,000? 
is it okay if, uh, if this? And they will tell you, mm, maybe not, maybe 50 is the maximum that you can order. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or maybe also for the price, is it okay to have a negative price? Mm, no, it's maybe just positive. And oh, I think regarding, than zero. Yeah, I think if we, if we go back to this email address example, mm -hmm. we talked about the not validated email address and, and the valid email address, mm -hmm. but what about if we have a really validated email address, so maybe representing an email address that we already know really exists, so where the user already got his confirmation email and clicked on the link, and so we know this email address is not only technically a valid email address, but it is also really that email address mm -hmm. from the user that really wanted to get in contact with us, some and not some... Some rating. Yeah, for example. Email yeah. Address, yes. And I think if we talk about that, so is this just a obviously valid email address or is it a really by user interaction yeah. validated email a address one. can be a really important thing to the yeah. business as well. Exactly. Yeah. And the business actually knows that. I mean, maybe not the but confirmation, a confirmed email address because maybe a confirmed email address is again too technical because this is mm -hmm. just a, a measure to prevent users from creating accounts without confirmation and consuming your services. But but for example, as I said, this, this quantity and also the prices and mm -hmm. there are so many things inside that this domain model that you're trying to capture that you say, okay, this is important information for the for the developer as well. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to to document this information and handing over to the developer, it's making made, making it much easier. You can also write your test for the mm -hmm. developer with the test. So, so you would say that this, this information needs to be there up front. So somebody needs to write this down or does this involve over development if you have to write people? I think that's one important uh, advantage of uh, working that way. You can defer the decision. You can say, for example, I, I have a, a postal code. Mm -hmm. And this is, if I have a typed postal code, I do not have to care at the moment what a mm -hmm. postal code looks like in our okay, user base, for it. example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can just talk about postal code and let's talk about the validation in the correct format and the supported countries and stuff later on. Okay, so labeling things right and not saying yeah. everything is a string makes it easier to, to really, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a shortcut maybe. To use a string and integer float, it's, uh, for me it's uh, some, some kind of shallow modeling, as you can call it maybe, mm. because this is just the easy way. It's working, then it's fine and done. I'm going to the next functionality, the next user story, because it's working. And uh, it's easy for you to translate it actually to, to all the, the external systems. Maybe when you're going to persist it in the database, it's easy to string, mm. string, then it's easy. But for now, the long term, you, you, you have actually you need this information anyhow. I mean, when you're getting some data from the users, you, usually you have some input from the user, um, you, you, you need to do some validation. Is it okay to, to have it empty? Is null okay? Is this okay to have a quantity greater than 100? Is it okay if it's negative? And you need this information anyhow somewhere in the code. And what's nice about this thinking is you have to think about where do I transition from the string that is coming from the user interface to my domain type? Yeah. Somewhere I have to do it. Because otherwise, it's, it's an opt-in. You can take a st any string the user gives you and store it in your database and process it later on in a, in a regular normal, normal way. Yeah? And, and crush everything yeah. and, and have SQL injection and whatnot. But if you say, okay, there is no such a uh, thing as a string in my domain, 
And if I get a string, I have to convert. And here I have to decide, yeah. is it valid or not? Then you're forced to think about. So no primitives. Okay, that's the first yeah. rule. I like no, this. No, yeah. no language primitives. Maybe. Language primitives, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, but is there any, any, anything more we can take care of to, 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 to get a little bit better feeling of how we model our domain more safe? What, what about this thing that you mentioned before about leaking data to the user that the user should not see? Actually, this is just one of the three things I'm always thinking about is when I'm writing an application or trying to figure out is it, is it complete, is, is there anything missing? This is the abbreviation CIA. I mean, it's yeah. maybe bad, but this is confidentiality, integra uh, integrity and availability. So, and that always try is this maybe uh, violating the, the, the confidentiality of my data. Is it possible to get data out of the system mm -hmm. actually that I'm not allowed to see? Mm -hmm. Or is it possible to, the integrity, is it possible to corrupt the data with some wrong input data as well? And the availability is another one when you're interacting with the user, when you have a web source, this is different set of, of validation as well because then you make, have to make sure that no one actually can, can crash your system because even if you have confident data and this is working and it's in, uh, everything is actually consistent mm -hmm. but if you cannot access it it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And what so that means that a team can take to, to, more, to think more about this kind of things? Uh, means it's rather difficult to say because this is not just a means it's just a, a set of techniques that, that you can use for example if you are communicating with the outside whatever coming in uh, handling incoming requests or handling outgoing requests whatever I mean this is some something nice and very old this is uh, um, in, uh, how is it called contract design by contract no mm -hmm. yeah, design by contract mixing up and this is actually you're describing your interface in a very strict way, and everything that's not really accepted by this schema, whatever, should be discarded. I mean, if you don't understand it, if mm -hmm. it's a correct, if it's the wrong syntax, then just discard this information, mm -hmm. because everything else means you, you're just accepting a request and you, you're uh, postponing actually the handling of the error to a later layer in the in your system. So this means it's getting in, it's actually not valid, and you, it's getting deeper and deeper into the, the yeah. code, more or less. It's getting deeper and deeper, and then you, hand, you have to handle it, in the, maybe in the domain model, maybe when you're doing DDT in the aggregate or in the entity, whatever. But this is, and this is one way for the attacker actually to, to attack your availability. Mm -hmm. Because if he's trying actually to send a request that, consumes a lot of, of your processing power because you're taking all these requests down to the latest layer, actually, and maybe down to the persistence where this, the database actually says, no, I cannot persist it because there's some inconsistency. Then you allow the attack actually to consume your CPU. Yeah. And this is mm -hmm. using a, a contract between the system that you're calling and you're validating very early, this is fail-fast mm -hmm. approach. Mm -hmm then you're just getting rid of, of this, this attack vector. Okay. So the, this sounds to me now that I already have to filter for all the possible future outgoing interfaces on my first incoming interface. What I mean by that is coming from this email address or whatever input field we have, we have to filter 
directly at the user input for any SQL injection or escaping characters that are then on the outgoing interface. So coming from the in incoming interface, I in enter some string, this email address, whatever, is being filtered, going through the domain, and then to be sent out to the SQL, to mm -hmm. SQL or via SQL to the database. So I already have to filter on the incoming interface. I might also have to filter on the incoming interface for any escape characters for JSON encoding, for instance, mm -hmm. because I might want to send this message over to somewhere else. Is no, you, you, when you're connecting to the out, when you're connecting to some other service, you're, you're providing a service, then you, you have to filter on the outgoing way as well. I mean, you, you have to be, this is postal flow actually, this is ESS, you have to be liberal on incoming requests and you have to right. be actually very strict on outgoing requests. Yeah. There is a nice paper from 2002 that actually says you, you also have to be strict on the incoming requests. Okay. Because, because this I is just a modification and okay. it's always often misinterpreted. You, you shouldn't just accept anything. You, you have to accept it. You have to check it. But you can also say, no, I'm not going to, to process this request because it's actually not, not clear to me what, does, what, what it means. Because um, I just looked a postal slow up because yeah. if you were talking about this, I, I saw this a little bit contradictory to what he says, right? You should be very open and liberal to yeah. what you accept from others and very conservative what you do, right? Yeah. So you say, actually, you should be more strict in what you get as yeah, a security exactly. rule, right? You, you sh should be more picky on the, on the request that you're processing. Because okay, and, and the, the problem that you, you, you have with this, I'm accepting everything, I'm trying to interpret it. You, you're always, you're, you can have some unclear decisions to make. I mean, you, maybe sometimes you have to decide, I'm not sure, should I go to the if or to, to the else statement, whatever in the code. Mm -hmm. And this is derived from this possibility that it's not clear to you, maybe the protocol is not defined, maybe the interface is not clear, maybe this is for you okay, but maybe in the whole context it's not okay just to, to process this request. And this is for simple protocols, rather easy to do. I mean, maybe you can decide if it's just a post or an update, whatever, for a REST interface, then it's maybe rather easy for you to decide, okay, I'm just ignoring this email address, I'm discarding it because you can decide it on, for one or the other way. Or when you have a simple CRUD interface, but when you have a really complex interface with a really complex um, structure, then maybe it's not clear to you. This is the, uh, an example for this is when you're going to to try to understand the file formats of media formats, maybe JPEGs or video streams as well. I mean, there are so many issues with the video codex. Mm -hmm. This is just because, okay, I'm getting some, uh, some file, maybe I don't understand it right, okay, I'm just trying to, to fix the error that comes from the original file. Yeah, but okay, yeah, I, I get but, your point, yeah. And I also got your point, I think, because it's very interesting, where do you do this security layer, right? Do you have one security on, on the top where you need to know already everything which is happening behind you? SQL injections and all this stuff needs to be clear up front, right? Or do you have security through your whole system, right? Do you, are you more this, 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 this um, fan of saying, okay, we have this, you know, this layer of safety zone yeah. where we have this, this boundary and afterwards we are safe. We know everything which is in here is, is safe. Or do you think security must go from the beginning but, back to the persistence? But you're starting in the middle is actually the domain model. This should be safe. I mean, maybe okay. we, we can agree upon that one. It should be strict because the domain model should be strict and clear. I mean, there should be no, no 
unclear states, whatever, because this is actually the idea behind this having a domain model that's clear and, and uh, consistent. Consistent as well, of course. Thank you. But then when you're going to the outer shells of your software, because you have to translate the, trans, uh, the domain model to the other service as well, also to the database, you have to be sure that you're not doing something that's not okay for the target system, for the goal, whatever. So that I mean, would be the filtering for angle brackets if you're going to a web page, for example. Ex exactly. You, you have to filter out the HTML tags. I mean, if it's possible to enter them in the first place. So so, yeah, yeah, but, but that, I, I think that's the, exactly the question that you mm -hmm. made, David. So do you, do you, is it enough to care at the end if you are targeting HTML? Or is it, uh, is it the, the task of the, of the input stage to target? Um, I think it, it depends, right? Because actually what you do in the domain model, you do business validation, right? You say, okay, this is consistent from a business perspective. And if you give data outside to an HTML renderer, for example, you need to make validation against the output format, which is HTML in yeah. this case. So Ma you need to make sure that there's no cross-sites, stuff like this. Right? But it's not, I think the input validation that we are talking about is not about business validation. It's just no. about the technical format. So for in, example... Invariance, in, in DDD it's called invariance. This is when you're actually putting up, and these are... Mm. This level, we are still talking on, on field value object level, where you actually you have rules that never ever must be violated at all. Yeah, but I think the input validation we are talking about is, is, a, is a layer before that, isn't it? So if we are thinking about, is this really just my first, is this just the first name, or is this some JavaScript snippet, yeah, what's exactly, in here? Yeah. So so different, different, exactly, these are different ways, you, you have to check it. Is, is it, you have to, one approach for this one is actually the feel fast approach, when you can say, okay, I try to get rid of incorrect values as fast as possible, I want mm -hmm. to detect them as, as soon as possible, and first one, is it null, is it not supplied at all, yeah. is it maybe an empty string, is it, if you want to have a, just a number inside, are there any, any, any characters that not a number? And you have actually one step after another, and then after all these simple validations, actually say, yes, check, this is just a number sequence, a sequence of numbers, then I'm going to try to convert it to an integer, and then I'm trying to say, okay, is it within a, a valid range? Mm -hmm. So you can the see price, for example, from yeah. the For example, the price, or just the quantity, or maybe the birthday as well. Mm -hmm. And so, so we are actually back in, 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 in ports and adapters, right? Finally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> second architecture, right? Yeah. So if you have sure. the domain model in the, in the middle, if yeah. you say, okay, this is the, the business domain, this is your universal architecture, your safety core, right? And then around you, you put all your stuff. And I think validations always need to go there yeah. where they belong to, right? Yeah. I think this, this, this approach or this... I would even say this naive idea of saying, okay, you have your security boundary around, right? And inside you're safe. It's just not working because there's so mm -hmm. much different validations where you sometimes even don't know the, don't have the knowledge right now, right? You cannot, you cannot check for, for, for business validations on the outer boundary mm -hmm. because yeah. usually you don't have the context, you don't have the connection to other yeah. domain models. So it's just, you know, parsing validation and stuff like this. But the, the, the business validation is actually responsibility of the entity. Because exactly, yeah. only the entity knows or the aggregate knows what's the context of the specific value. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is something you cannot do in the outer layer because then you are actually violating all this. Yeah. 
exactly, layer exactly. architecture, onion architecture, yeah, whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And what was also often is missed is actually that you not only should validate the, the user input, but also the, the input from other systems. For sure. But would you, would you, for example, um, validate the, the, the things you read from a database, from your database? Yeah, sure. If you, if you have the power of this database, if you're yeah. the only one who accesses this database, would you still validate it if uh, you actually, read it out? Even here, you have to convert the string that is actually in the database to your uh, postal code, for example. But this is the thing, you, you, you're not validating it here. I mean, you don't have to validate it. Maybe you are because it's null. I mean, you can do some null check. Yeah, but why should but there be a, a, an invalid postal code in your database? But you don't. No, it's, I think it's not about that you have to validate, but there, there is no other way because if I need in my domain model a postal code object, as you, you, okay, have, you have and, to and I have it. a string in the database, then the, connect, the conversion has to be done. Yeah, it's done all the time because if you want to do something with that one, you have to convert it in the domain model, and then this happens there actually. You don't have to think about this. This okay, is it now valid to have this postal code or the other postal code? Okay, because so it's I, actually, I, I, I actually it. done where it actually belongs and it's not spread over the, the whole application. I think that's very, a very clever idea. I never thought about this so much in detail that domain-driven design not only makes your code adaptable to the changing out, out world or to the changing mm -hmm. outset, but also makes it actually more secure, right? Because you have to think more about all mm -hmm. these yeah. rules and you exactly. have to think mm -hmm. more about all these boundaries, yeah? That's cool. And uh, as Paul said, you can postpone some decisions because you can say, okay, I, maybe I don't know what the postal code is. Uh, for the first draft of the application, I'm going to use a string. For sure. That, that's again abstraction, right? Then you right? can you, you get change another it. layer of exactly. abstraction. You say you have no postal code and another string. And then yeah. you say, okay, the postal code in version one yeah. is just a string. In version two, we start to validate it. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. clear. That's yeah. And do, okay, so, so but is, is there any other aspects um, beside domain-driven design where you can say, okay, this would be a useful start for developers to focus more on security during development. During development is hard actually. What, what also for me a good point is to, to think about security is to, to think about bounded context, context map mm -hmm. because this gives me an overview where is the data coming from, where does my data go to. And if you have a kind of context map, even when you know, okay, you, you have to conform to some interface, then you know that you need this anti-corruption layer, or you need some other tools or whatever sets of classes, or maybe also some translators between. I mean, this, this gives me a rough idea, okay, maybe I don't trust this because this is an external service, mm -hmm. or maybe this external or this internal service is getting data from some other external service that I don't trust. So. What do you think about testing that you do not expose data to an interface that you want, don't want to expose? Testing. If you're using, uh, if you're using a contract, then it's easy. I mean, at least you know on field level that you're not showing it to someone else. This is one possibility because you, you have to translate it to your designed contract, to your JSON schema whatsoever. I mean, of course, it doesn't help me from actually doing some manual testing as well. Mm. Because maybe this, this query is okay for one user, but for different users, it's not okay to show it to data. I mean, uh, it's not going to replace all the existing means of protection of the system, like sure. this, this yeah. automated testing, unit testing, test-driven development, whatever. I mean, 
it's just an additional tool in your belt that you can use. I think with, with, uh, with, without any additional effort, actually. Because you have to think about it anyhow. And if you're writing it in the right place and then it's easily maintainable, you can test it, actually. Mm. If you're spreading around and inputting all this logic into some translation layer, you, you have to test the translation layer to know if the, the, the zip code is correct. Mm. If you're putting it somewhere explic uh, explicitly into a, a domain primitive, then you actually just test this one and this is a simple unit to test. Mm -hmm. So I could think about just one way of how this could be tested by, for example, writing, I should not be able to see this in a password field in the database and then just check the whole, uh, the whole outgoing request, for example, or the outgoing response for an, for an API call, just a string that I get with all the angle mm. brackets or whatever it is for this string so that it not, does not appear mm. within the string. So it can be, of course, really naive, and there can be different ways to, to go mm. past this, but that maybe could be a, some kind of means of, of checking that you do mm. not expose the data that you don't want to expose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but for this, you can use a typical tool set. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just want to just mention one thing uh, regarding this. When doing coding dojos and stuff, there is a um, an exercise that is actually tackling this thing that you do not use strings and ints for yeah. your domain, and it's called uh, primitive obsession. And I think we also yeah. tried it. Mm. Yeah, we, we, I think we did it even together. Yeah. Um, but what, that, that's one thing I think, uh, avoiding primitives as good as possible. But another thing which comes to my mind if we mm. talk about all the security stuff and making developers aware of is this classical um, test mobs, right? Where you mm -hmm. sit together at the end of the sprint as the whole team on an afternoon and really click through your application mm. and found out what you actually all forgot, right? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> other people see in a second, yeah. right? They see, oh, maybe you should try, I don't know. Some, some, have some, to try some that one and exactly. Yeah, are you checking for that exactly combination of data? Script well? alert, hello, yeah. right? And stuff yeah, like nice. this. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very often working, yeah. and it, it, it creates awareness. And actually, you don't want to be the guy you know who, who, who opened the, the cross site scripting again next frame. So, you really think more. Yeah. It's, not, it's not that you really have pressure on you. But you start to think, what would other people do with my text box mm, now, yeah. right? And you start to think and you start to get more secure. Yeah. I think that's, that's really a good practice for this. Mm, that's right. Okay. I guess there is another topic for another episode that we can talk about. It's, I think if we talk about this way of coding, we also ought to talk about languages that support this style of coding more and and make it maybe harder to support mm -hmm. the style of coding. But that's another topic for another episode. But just keep it in mind, I think it's worth talking about. Nah, I think I cannot join this episode because it's too much JavaScript planning, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will try be sure about this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> TypeScript will, will make get it, it better. just so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Looking forward to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you very much for thank this you. nice introduction about um, security and, and development. I think this is a topic 
which doesn't have that big momentum, right? People don't <laughs> talk too much about security. Yeah. Mainly I have the feeling because security is always cumbersome usually, right? You have yeah. the security guys in your company and then exactly. you bring them your software and say, please accept it, don't find too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you say, oh. just, just don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's cool. So we're at the end of the episode and I think there's time for the news of the local community. Paul, exactly. I think you have something, right? Yeah, it's, it's not so much of a news, but a recommendation for a, I think, somewhat unusual um, community or meetup. And it's called Papers We Love. And it's a community of people that are taking papers, scientific papers, uh, from software development area or whatever, big area, and discussing it. So every... Every meetup is dedicated to one specific paper. People that are joining this uh, meetup are recommended or required to have read the paper up front, of course. One moderator guides through the discussion about this paper. I've just been there once. It was uh, the topic um, software aging. It was a paper, I think, around 25 years ago. and really interesting crowd to talk about this topic and also interesting to to read a paper that is 25 years old and we all know what all changed in 25 years and of course some things still absolutely are valid some things you would say okay that's more about agile now and craftsmanship so maybe some things have been attacked but still the basic situation and problems still exist so it was really good a good uh, community there and i will definitely be there again one time again but so what, what was the, what, what was the core message of the of the of the paper does software rust or doesn't it rust it does it does rust yeah, okay sure. that's contradictory so, to another yeah, absolutely paper, right? we discussed yeah. a lot of, of things <laughs> and he uh, what the author um basically said so um he, he compared software with a body so with the age of the human body or, or a biological system. And of course, there some of the, of the comparisons he did just don't really work out if you think another corner again. But you get the idea what he was talking about and he thinking about it. It just started off a good discussion. And okay. As always, this is the best part of everything, yeah, to exactly. have a good discussion with the people. So that would be a good topic, because my Java code... JavaScript code doesn't run. Maybe I can win this discussion. <laughs> no, I, that's funny because I always thought a different way. I think there's a very um, um, interesting blog article from Jeff Antwood or someone like this who, mm-hmm. who, who thought that actually software doesn't <coughs> rust, right? That's one of the, the, the yeah. misthinkings. And yeah, yeah. The, of course, this is one of the shortcomings of all these uh, comparisons because of course, it talks a lot about things that the software by itself is not is talking about changing requirements, about changing hardware that mm-hmm. the software is running on, and that you are running out of, of maintenance contracts and stuff like this. So the environment but, rusts, but not the software itself, right? Yeah, but of course, he has some some valid points. Yeah. Cool. And when when is it this meetup? Once a month? I think every time someone proposes a paper, I guess it's more or less once a month or every two months around, yeah. So it's Papers We Love and you can find it on uh, meetup.com. Cool. What Mm. are your favorite meetups? 
Of course, DDD and microservices. <laughs> <laughs> what else? <laughs> no, also. Papers we love, I've tried because the, the software aging paper was very interesting because from the point of view of business, because what was surprising to me actually was that the software rusts and is actually at the same time decreasing the business value. So even if you have the same software, it's actually the business value goes down because it's no longer fulfilling the need of the user over time because the need of the user changes over time. Mm -hmm. And this was very interesting. This was what I would mm. like to have this yeah. discuss with them. That was one part of the discussion yeah. that we, we said, even if the software stays stable, of course, the software <laughs> by itself in its core stays sta stable over time and nothing happens with the software itself. But as the requirements and, yeah. the, and the expectations of exactly. the users, especially if you talk about user interfaces, grow over time very, very fast, mm -hmm. the difference between what the users see and what the users get gets even bigger. Yeah. And that falls back to the software, even if it's still the same as 25 years ago. Well, that's interesting so, because yeah. 25 years later, I often have the feeling that maybe technology changes more often than actually user expectations. Mm -hmm. That's, that's interesting. Okay, so I guess this was the first episode of the new era of Developer Melange, and this was episode number nine. And it was epic. And it was epic.